Hello and welcome to today's episode of Cargo of Bricks, brought to you by Sliver O'Toole and part of the Reset Project, kindly supported by Ulster Bank. Now today my guest is Slugger regular, Shane Greer, once of Northern Ireland, now a business owner in Washington, D.C. I began by asking him what he thinks our challenges are in getting a decent reset and whether we are capable of thinking bigly. Yeah, uh, no, no, yeah, I love, I do, I do love that. That's a word we should keep after the, after this year. Um, but no, I, I think that the first thing I would say is we tend to be Northern Ireland tends to be extremely myopic um, and extremely backward looking. So when it comes to deciding, you know, I don't know what the 21st century workplace should look like and how we should be attracting talent and investment and so on, folks are still thinking about the office as it was in the last in the last ten years, and and that's a dangerous thing. Um, you know, we we tend to. Uh, narrowly focus on uh, on identity, and one could talk about the bridge to Scotland as an example of that. But we fail to actually wrestle with the practical reality. So, you know, I wrote a piece for the newsletter about the bridge to Scotland a while ago, which basically argued not for a bridge to Scotland, but said let's have the feasibility study. You know, let's actually look at what this would cost, what the benefits would be economically to invest in this infrastructure, and then we could at least balance that against investing in infrastructure west of the ban to create a more connected Northern Ireland. Uh, delivering through to Great Britain uh, via the Republic and the North. Um, you know, let's really think through the practical realities of the the economy we live in and the economy as it's going to be not tomorrow, but 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now. So I think too much time is spent looking back at how things were and too much time is spent at looking now and how things are and not enough time is spent planning for and investing in a future that is visible uh, in front of our eyes, but takes a bit more creative thinking from a policy perspective um, and a bit more global thought than traditionally Northern Irish politicians are capable of. So you say it's visible, this future, um, but it's also moving at a hell of a rate. I mean, the the things that we've charted, even through the reset series here from, you know, uh, even early summer, uh Employment patterns have changed. Retail has gone through massive challenges. You know, some local businesses have, have, have spent something like half a million pounds getting ready for the lifting of lockdown, and mm-hmm. now is finding itself going back in. The ability to be resilient in in the face of all of this stuff. Um, but you know, what what are the things that you see coming through? Uh, perhaps to the other side of this this really stop start kind of period that we're going through that that can be enacted or acted upon. Well, let's look at let's look at virtual work working remote. Um, traditionally, that's something that private sector employers have have long had a fascination with, but there's always been that trepidation that if we adopt um, a virtual workforce, if we allow people to work from home more often, uh, the people working from home uh, won't work. Uh, and what's come through clearly as a result of COVID for all those folks who are fortunate enough to be able to work from home is actually uh, it doesn't damage productivity. It improves productivity. That's something I've seen at my own uh, company so much so that we closed down all of our offices, uh, U.S. And, and outside the U.S. in um, uh, in in April uh, this year and moved and moved fully remote. Not all companies will move fully remote, but there was a great Gartner survey a couple of months ago with uh, CFOs in the United States. Seventy-four uh, percent of those CFOs uh, expected to move previously office-based employees uh, remote 
post-COVID. So something that they expect to continue um, beyond uh, beyond uh, COVID. Uh, the other thing here that's that's really important is there are a lot of direct benefits to companies in doing this. I mean, you're when you move office workers remote, you're saving, and I'm talking in dollar terms here, anything from $2,500 to $4,000 a year on average. And then there's the staff benefits. I mean, just take our own staff. Um, pretty standard uh, commutes uh, for the United States. Our average staffer is saving just over 340 commuting hours a year, which is an astonishing amount uh, amount of time. What we can see is that more people will work remote at least part of the time. Offices, as a result, will be smaller because you don't need as large an office footprint, and it's a it's it's, it's a saving. And that tells us a couple of that takes, tells us a couple of things. One, more people are going to be able to work wherever they want. Two, if they're going to work wherever they want, they're going to need the kind of infrastructure that facilitates that. I'm thinking of fast broadband uh, here being being a key a key factor. Uh, three, it's going to require um, changes in the tax code in terms of like, how do you get taxed if you work for a company in the US, but you're actually living and working in a country, company somewhere else. I'm not just saying you work, I'm, I'm talking about the US because that's where I live, but you know, wherever wherever your company is versus wherever, wherever you are. Um, and then what does infrastructure um, and planning permission and so on look like? You know, do we continue to throw up office blocks at a time when you know, as, as the CEO of Shopify described, and I think it's a wonderful term, that the, the age of office centricity uh, is dead. We have this decoupling between the physical space where you once worked and where you actually need to be to do your work. And that drives huge changes in terms of where you have to live versus where you want to live. And recently you wrote about this in a, a piece, I think, for us. Um, where you were talking about actually the traditional focus on bringing new jobs in Mm -hmm. is perhaps not exactly where the center of attention should be. Not that that should be stopped in any way, shape or form, but actually uh, given this decentralization of uh, jobs, uh, of firms, um, that actually we ought to be thinking about people, about human capital, uh, mm-hmm. as as the t- the techno jargon, jargon has it, and making it easier for human capital to come back and relocate yeah. either someone who's left Northern Ireland or someone who, for the first time, is is backing their own dream and coming here to do to do a job they would otherwise do somewhere else. Yeah, who who just wants a particular lifestyle. I think there are two uh, key strands that come out of this. Absolutely, we should continue to attract jobs to Northern Ireland. But let's not pretend that the attraction of jobs to Northern Ireland necessarily means the attraction of office space uh, to Northern Ireland. Uh, More and more companies are going to be able to hire Northern Irish workers or, frankly, any workers living anywhere doing the same kind of job. And the kind of jobs that Northern Ireland overwhelmingly attracts from outside investment, back office back office jobs that can, on the whole, be done anywhere. This is not someone who's uh, driving a a forklift, doing something physical. This is someone who's sitting on a computer, putting numbers in a spreadsheet. Um, Those kind of jobs can be done. So that's that's one strand of it. So yes, let's continue to attract jobs to Northern Ireland, but let's do that in a way that recognizes that the workplace itself is changing and the policy needs to reflect that. The other piece, which I think is the more interesting and creative piece, not necessarily the more important, but it's something that we have to have, in an age where more people can work wherever they want, I gave the example in the piece of one of my colleagues who you know splits his time between place in DC, 
uh, beach house in, in North Carolina, or sorry, South Carolina and another uh, beach house in, in Cabo in Mexico because he can, right? He doesn't, doesn't matter where he is. He can still take client calls in any of those places. It, you know, enables him to have a, a much more fulfilling uh, lifestyle than just being in one place all the time. Well, more people, particularly at the higher end of the income spectrum in service in service jobs, are going to be able to do things like that. Why wouldn't you want to attract those kind of consumers uh, to Northern Ireland? They have jobs elsewhere. They're not they're not coming in and sort of taking a job that's in Northern Ireland. They're doing a job elsewhere, but they'd be coming to Northern Ireland. Um, and, uh, you know, and living there and working there and spending there. And this is not a new idea. This sort of notion of a, of a nomad uh, visa in the style of, um, you know, in the style of uh, Estonia um, and indeed elsewhere, where someone gets a visa to come and live somewhere and do a job that they're doing elsewhere. That's not new. Other places are doing it. Northern Ireland should look at some of these creative approaches approaches to the modern economy and think about implementing some of them, recognizing that some of it will require some serious lobbying in Westminster, because of course, the controls over immigration, they sit in Westminster. But if the devolved regions each had a set number of nomad visas that they could dole out uh, each year, um, I think that would be transformative in terms of bringing a, a set of consumers to Northern Ireland who will invest there, spend there, um, and uh, and improve, uh, be a part of contributing to an improved economy overall. From a Westminster point of view, that's quite a radical idea, considering we've just had, well, we're in the process of having Brexit. Uh, and the really controversial thing there is not, from a British point of view, uh, the, the movement of uh, capital or services, it, uh, or jobs even, it's the movement of labor. And what you're proposing slightly goes against that. So, uh, that, But I don't want to dwell on that too much, just a, just more of an aside. Now, it seems to me, when we were talking before, you, you talked about the, Northern Ireland's real card here is its strengths. And I took a brief note here. You know, it's cheap to live. Uh, it's cheap to dine out. Groceries are a lot cheaper than they are in more expensive parts of the country. Flights into, into Europe. Uh, you know, almost every European tap, capital on tap within an hour to an hour and a half or maybe two hours maximum. And the schooling is excellent, certainly at the top end. There is issues at the bottom end. But let me ask this. this uh, these nomads that we want to bring in, what will the benefit be to the local economy of bringing these people to live here if they're not also, as traditionally big industrialists did, bring in firms, plants, uh, and, and and jobs for those kind of lower down in the labor market? So uh, first thing to note is that um, those folks who might be coming through a nomad visa, there's no reason to believe that if you didn't have the nomad visa, that those companies would suddenly be turning around and bringing jobs uh, to Northern Ireland. Uh, this is tackling different points of the uh, of the employment economy. We absolutely still have to continue to attract uh, employers to Northern Ireland, and that might be physical attract, bringing them physically to Northern Ireland to employ people, or virtually to Northern Ireland to hire uh, people in Northern Ireland uh, who would work remote for companies uh, elsewhere. That's one piece of the puzzle. For those folks who are nomads, this is this is not uh, at all about directly creating jobs in Northern Ireland. That's not what the nomad visa is about, nor should it be what it's about, and it doesn't undermine your ability to create jobs. Uh, through traditional uh, sort of the immigration or through, through traditional investment incentives and so on. What this is about is is folks who will come 
who will spend X number of years uh, in the country, um, who will be uh, perhaps buying a house, uh, who will be uh, investing in the local economy simply day to day by buying things. They'll be paying sales tax. They'll be paying council tax. They'll be, um, you name it, they'll be like anyone else living in a country who day to day has to buy their groceries, is going to go out for dinner, um, is going to be going out to entertainment and, and things like that again when the world sort of returns, when the world returns to normal. You know, this is, I'm talking about here folks who have higher disposable incomes who can live anywhere. Um, and I'm talking about the subset who might be interested in living in a, in a, in somewhere like Northern Ireland versus someone who might want to live in a Rome or a Paris or, or something like that. Those people being there means they will be spending money in that economy. And that can only be a good, uh, it can only be a good thing. And there's, what's the downside here? You know, one of you touched on Bregs and I'll touch on it briefly. Um, and I, I kind of disagree with with this thesis of people who, you know, people who were against, say, the EU because of folks coming in and, quote unquote, taking jobs from uh, locals. I think that's uh, I think that notion of immigration is, is a nonsense. But even if you believe that, even if you're someone who doesn't like the idea of, quote unquote, foreigners coming here and taking jobs, well, they're not doing that. They have a job. They have it a job with, a, I don't know, an investment firm in, in Manhattan or some like agri, agri firm out in wherever. And they do very well. Thank you very much. And they can do very well wherever they're living. They're just choosing to live somewhere else for a period of time and give themselves and their family an experience that is now open to them because they don't have to be within a 40 minutes drive of some office in a generic downtown in the United States or Canada or somewhere else. So, uh, uh, case well made. Um, uh, I mean, a lot of things are nonsense in reality, but you know, it's it's the it's the degree to which ideas grip people, and and, and I, the idea of immigration is a stumbling block, even if the reality of it doesn't really match up to to what people's ideas about it are. So that 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 I think, but it, but it's a well met point. It strikes me though that some of the things, two things I would, two observations I'd make about your point here. Um, one is that in thinking about the individuals, the high level individuals that we might want to attract to live here, it forces us to reframe how we think about Northern Ireland itself. Mm. How we think of it in human terms, not simply ah, listen, lads, we need a few more, uh, you know, chicken farms here. We need, you know, old Joe up there. He's got this barn place, all the rest. If it gets very technocratic, when you're pitching to real people to come, then the stories that you have to tell around that become slightly more human, slightly more open, um, and actually forces you to think, well, why do I like living here? Why, why is Northern Ireland a very good place to live, despite the down, you know, the, some of the downsides of our past? Um, and the other side of it is there is this whole concept in sociology of human capital. The fact that somebody lives in your street who has, say, um, a marketing uh, company in Denmark or in North Carolina, or, or uh, that allows them to connect locally with people who might actually have ideas that you can then track through their – it's almost as though you can piggyback onto their – their networks. We see this around, uh, you know, tech hubs like the classic one in Silicon Valley. There, you know, uh, Cambridge University has kind of managed to kind of splurge out. And you see this around Trinity College. Almost every big 
technical university in the United Kingdom and Ireland has these, you know, Limerick, uh, Feeney's, Feeney's input into Limerick has turned it from uh, the National Institute of Higher Education into a globally recognized um, technical university. So uh, some of this is about really not knowing where the journey is going to take us to, but understanding that some of these things are seeds that can then take us to somewhere we haven't even imagined yet. Seems yeah, I know. I, I, th- I think I think that's I think that's very true. I, and you know, I, let, let's 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 address two two sort of points you made there. The first is about kind of how you sell. Uh, Northern Ireland, and that's quite a that's quite a different challenge to the one of selling a company on why you should come here because salaries are lower and all the usual stuff that the executive will roll out to get a company to bring some accounting jobs into uh, Northern Ireland or, or whatever it is. I, I would argue that the you know people in Northern Ireland are kind of uniquely uh, well placed to to make that sale to somebody on the virtue of Northern Ireland because it doesn't take long in a pub to get someone telling you about oh yeah you know we've got problems but you know it's still a great place to live because of X Y. Or Z. There's a huge amount to sell. And again, the thing to, you know, I, I, when I wrote the piece, I had a couple of people coming back and saying, oh, well, why, why, would, why would somebody want to live here when they can go and live in the Bahamas or something like that? That's not the person you're trying to bring. That, that The person that wants to go to the Bahamas, the Bahamas is competing uh, with, with Cabo and Cancun and those kind of places. That's their competition. Folks who are more apt to come here, that's a different person who has different interests, looking for a different kind of lifestyle, a different sale, different person, know your demographic and, and sell to that demographic. But I think Northern Ireland has a great case to make there. And I think, um, you know, one only need to look at the sort of the, the tourism boards ads to see that actually the skill set to make that sale exists. It just kind of exists in a different part of our kind of government governance structure. Um, so, so that's one piece to the human capital Point. I think that's I think that's an interesting and important one uh, because the you know whatever way you cut it the Northern Irish economy is not very dynamic um, and it's not frankly particularly interesting it's not where we see uh, tremendous innovation right like the next hot thing is broadly speaking not coming out of northern uh, Northern Ireland um, and if, even if you, know, you look at the most significant kind of tech story out of uh, out of Ireland in the last while, it's probably Stripe, and that was in the Republic. You know, so the, the, this this uh, the, this ability to bring folks in who are doing perhaps different kinds of jobs, uh, working for different kinds of comp- companies, and solving different kinds of problems than we might normally see day to day in Northern Ireland, that can only be a good thing. You know, I, I, and that, and that's a point I think more broadly about diversity. You know, simply being around people who do different things to yourself, have different interests in yourself, different life experience in yourself, you know, is is a tremendously uplifting thing. I mean, a, a personal story on that front. You know, I think of when I when I went to uh, secondary school uh, in Northern Ireland to, to Ligon College, and that was really the first time I was exposed to people who weren't from a kind of traditional uh, Protestant working class background that I'd experienced growing up. And suddenly I was aware of all of these jobs that paid a lot more money than anyone I knew earned. Right. And and that was a kind of a, you know, there's a light bulb moment there. We're like, Oh my God, there's a, there's a huge world. I was broadly speaking unaware of. And so that's all to say that I think having a, you know, a range of people in any country or any place is, is a good thing. And folks like this can be one small part of that. And that there's no downside. Again, there's no downside to that. 
Okay, so I'm going to lodge a quick question because it was asked of me yesterday by a prominent academic who studies Northern Ireland, uh, and I genuinely didn't have the answer to it. This is just a pub quiz question, which you can answer in your own time when you think okay. had a bit of time to think about it. Uh, but, uh, okay, so uh, no, well, I'm going to ask it, and then you just answer the okay. next question, uh, and so that yeah. gives you a little bit of. So it's a uh, think about it, and maybe when All we right. get towards the end of the interview, we can come to that. But diversity seems to me. Uh, I completely agree with all of what you say. Diversity has been proven to uh, Im- improve the performance of teams. The greater diversity you have in a- any given team uh, improves its ability to anticipate um, the uh, unknown unknowns as well as known unknowns, so to speak. Um, but isn't that a challenge for us? Because we do do this goats and sheep thing all the time. I mean... I was away from Northern Ireland four or five years, and I was still trying to guess what somebody's uh, religious background was when they um, say the alphabet. When, when we, say the alphabet. You what? Say, say the, the alphabet backwards. Backwards. Don't cheat. Yeah. <laughs> Diversity is a real what? challenge for us, though, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, and and the, uh, the quiz question. Sorry, the quiz question. Yeah, quiz question. How many jobs? How many jobs are there in the high tech industry in Northern Ireland? Approximately. Approximately. All right. That's okay. Yeah, I'll think about that. So I think in terms of the in terms of the diversity point, um, you're right. But but that's not something that's unique to Northern Ireland. Um, You know, let's take uh, let's take um, uh, an England uh, or or United States by way of example. You go into any of the large cities, you're going to see a lot of diversity um, and that you're going to see uh, cultural, racial, gender diversity in the, you know, in the workforce, um, you know, your name, you're going to see a broad, a broad spectrum of diversity in those kind of places, because that's the nature of larger cities. The smaller you get, uh, smaller towns, villages and rural, the less diverse it's going, uh, it's going to get. That's, that's, that's something that you have everywhere. Now, yes, Northern Ireland is particularly good at putting people into green and orange uh, buckets. I mean, that classic joke of like, are you a Catholic atheist or a Protestant atheist, right? You know, like it, we like putting people... Or, or as Tim McGarry put on Twitter the other day, is COVID Catholic or Protestant? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, th- th- thank you, Edwin. Uh, thank you, uh, Edwin Putz, right? Um, no, that's, you know, that's something that, um, you know, that, that's something you have everywhere. Yes, Northern Ireland has a particular problem. But go to modern day Belfast, go to the cathedral quarter, uh, walk around the, the Titanic sector and the kind of little tech hub that we have going on around there. We do have um, a much more cosmopolitan uh, culture in a city like Belfast now than you did 20 years ago. And in fact, in, in an anecdotal way, that's, like, that's why publications like the New York Times are, are now doing pieces of why, why Belfast is a great weekend break, like they've always done about uh, Copenhagen and, and elsewhere, but would never do about Belfast. So Belfast is changing, and that's part of the story of Northern Ireland changing. And um, yes, we have an issue with diversity, but let's not pretend that that's not something that everywhere has. And let's also not pretend that we aren't starting to see that fade away uh, in, in certainly our, our, our primary city, Belfast. Just two points to sort of really sum up or to finish off, because uh, I know we're, we're beginning to run out of time a little bit here. So uh, uh, and then in your own good time, you can answer that evil pub quiz question that I just posed you. 
God, I, I have no idea. I am going to say that it's, a, I guess it depends how we define high tech, but I'm going to, I'm going to say that it's a surprisingly high number. Let's, let's go with, I don't know, 25, 30,000. 30, Double it and you're there. Double it. Okay. I, I think, I think, you know, a, a fair point. We don't know what high tech actually means. Yeah. Uh, but it isn't low tech, right? Yeah. And I think you did better than I did. I guessed 10,000. The point is, and it really I, I only guessed what, what I guessed because I thought by the question that it was probably going to be higher than I would think. So, of course. Uh, but yeah. uh, but it goes with your point about we assume we're not re- we're diverse averse. When in actual fact, we are changing right now. We are al- already changing by default. We're just not tracking uh, the degree to which we are changing as a society or as a, jo- you know. I mean, this is going to be something that folks with kids will get, right? You know, when, when, you, have, when you have kids and you're around them all the time, that, that you don't notice so much their growth, you know, their size or, or whatever, right? Whereas if you're an aunt or an uncle without kids and you see Sue when she's one and you see her next when she's three, you're like, oh, my God, you've got so big. You know, things have changed so much. You know, when you're around something, you're less aware of the incremental change, but if you took someone from 1994 Belfast and you put them into, uh, or 1998 Good Friday Agreement Belfast, and you put them into, well, not COVID Belfast because you wouldn't see anyone, put them into uh, January 2020 Belfast, a different city. I mean, just look at the cathedral quarter alone, and I don't want to overemphasize that. What that person would feel like they were in a completely different city in a different, you know, they, they, they would recognize some of the buildings, but they would wonder what on earth had happened. And that's a tremendous thing that people in Belfast and Northern Ireland more broadly should be proud of, that the country is at a point where people want to come and live somewhere like that and, and make a life there and, and build a culture all of its own that wouldn't have existed a couple of decades before. Just two points to finish on. Um... Shane, in your own good time. I think the, the, the thing to bear in mind is the economy is changing. Uh, office centricity is starting to ebb away. It's not going to go away entirely. But the idea of 100% of your workforce being in your physical office 100% of the time, that is gone the way of the, that's gone the way of the dodos. Uh, that's going to mean smaller office pr- footprints for companies uh, overall. And it's going to mean more workers who no longer have to live within half an hour, 40 minutes of wherever the office was before. Uh, That creates opportunities and it creates challenges for Northern Ireland. Challenges in that what should we be investing in infrastructure? Should we keep throwing up big new office blocks? It presents opportunities in the uh, what does it mean to attract jobs to Northern Ireland? Because yes, continue to attract physical office space to Northern Ireland in the form of companies investing in a back office. Yes, let's continue to do that. But what about bringing jobs to Northern Ireland from that same company where they can just hire anybody anywhere and some of those people can be in Northern Ireland? That's a slightly different point, but it's an important one in a world where office centricity is in decline. And then the final piece is, what about just attracting people to Northern Ireland who already have jobs but don't have to be any particular place? So there, there, there are challenges and there are opportunities but it takes the ability to step back and look in the cold light of day of what the modern economy is becoming, where we think it's going to be in 10 years, and not continue to plan for and invest in an economy that stopped existing a few months ago. Cargo of Bricks is brought to you by The Reset Project in partnership with Ulster Bank, bringing you innovative ideas to help aid Northern Ireland's economic recovery. 
Make sure you catch every edition by hitting the subscribe button wherever you get your quality podcasts.